0: Three. Three, two. Three.
1: Welcome to episode 13 of Rankin Review, What the Fuck, WTF Volume 2. Rick Rochon returns, he was with me last time when we discussed this topic, and we are going to look at six movies that will make you say out loud, What the Fuck. Uh, I guess it goes without saying that there will be some coarse language in this episode And we are also going to be uh, talking spoilers So if you're worried about that, uh, watch the movies before you listen to the podcast My name's Larry Parsons, I'm your host in Random Canadian And I hope you enjoy episode 13 of Rank and Review You chose your list again, right?
2: Well, no, I don't take responsibility for this list. (laughs) No, this is. I came up with all of
1: the lists, but you chose this list out of many. (laughs) I
2: picked this category of my own free will, if that's the way you'd like to place
1: it. (laughs) And you kind of picked it again, like I was saying. I guess this was originally called uh, Movies That Mess With You, but we're dubbing it What the Fuck 2, because they are very much What the Fuck movies. But again, you've been attracted right to the strange, so.
2: Well, it's. You don't have. It's very easy to come up with things to talk about with very unusual movies. Even just the fact that you're just sitting there, going, your jaw sits open while you watch these films, and go, huh, and and then you need to talk to somebody about this just to maybe either verify that you weren't crazy, <laughs> that you or to actually try and figure out what happened during this film
1: you saw it too right yes it's
2: like I wasn't you know I didn't sort of spasm and misinterpret this right it's like my brain needs to purge
1: Well, I think this is my chore with this because, I mean, I did not like a lot of these movies. I'm not a big fan of a lot of them, but I don't want to be all about hating. So, like, I'm trying not to just have a bunch of movies where this was stupid and then this was stupid and this was stupid. I hate it. Don't watch it. I think that's boring to listen to. I want to try and get into this a little bit as to, like, okay, what were they going for,
0: you know?
2: Well, there's... And it's kind of a mix here because there is uh, some of these movies... uh, I enjoyed, and some of them, not so much. <laughs> so, uh, but the the thing is, is that the material itself isn't the kind of of topic that really gets my blood going. It's like if I wanted to, you know, start really coming up with creative ways of. of saying how much I hated a movie Mm -hmm. I'd need to pick different categories it's like if I was watching like torture porn that category I couldn't have done it because it would have just all been you know pain and and I would have hated everything this there's actually there's stuff that I didn't like about these movies but they're not inherently bad or offensive to me they're just
1: there's usually a seed of an idea somewhere in it yeah
2: yeah it's like you can i can watch these and go yeah they they weren't good they were weak bad movies like bad storytelling bad acting whatever but nothing really like just stuck it in and twisted as i was watching <laughs> it it was uh, i can still speak about them and i don't feel like i was permanently damaged
1: well here let's go through the movies that we're going to talk about today uh and it's weird. There, they would seem like a very disparate group of movies, but I do think there's, upon watching them all together, there 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 is, there's similarities. There's connections between some of these movies. Sure. Um, David Lynch's probably most beloved film. Maybe maybe uh, Blue Velvet comes close to it, but I think Mulholland Drive is up there with the Lynch fans as far as his best work. Uh, very bizarre film, Mulholland Drive. Um, the 70s thriller Don't Look Now by uh, Nicholas Rogue with uh, Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland. Uh, very strange, sort of psycho psychic thriller. <laughs> um, Dead and Buried from the 80s, um, with uh, introduced some special effects from uh, Rick Baker and uh, some interesting mix of talents from the 80s come together for this dark little. feels almost like a Twilight Zone episode, but with a lot more gore.
2: <laughs> you hit the nail on the head That's exactly what i thought
1: um Dario argento and like i am a I'm a horror movie fan, but uh Dario argento's sort of popularity and uh respect among the horror aficionados continues to elude me uh, i I'm not a big argento fan i really am. i i want to be part of me wants to be I feel like uh, everybody else is in on a joke that i i'm not but uh we're going to look at his film phenomena starring a I think fifteen-year-old, utterly stunned-looking <laughs> Jennifer Connelly. Oh man, we have the zombie picture, uh, *Burial Ground*, *The Knights of Terror*, and uh, Adrian Lynn's follow-up to his uh, theatrical smash *Fatal Attraction*, uh, *Jacob's Ladder*, starring Tim Robbins. Uh, sort of an interesting. I'm excited. You're excited? <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> Did you uh, Did you watch them in a really close period together? Or did you have to take breathers in between?
2: Uh, actually, this time, I kind of... Like, I did a burst of them, three of them, in one go. Right. Um, and then there was a week and a half between, and then I spaced out the last three, which were going to be the painful ones to watch mm-hmm. over a number of nights, just so that... Because, like, really, watching three hard-to-watch movies <laughs> all in the same night just doesn't... It's not good for my psyche, I don't know.
1: Or anyone's, yeah. or anyone's. I think it's worth mentioning, this film, Burial Grounds, Knights of Terror, relatively obscure Italian exploitation zombie picture. I gave it to you, and then we found out it just was, coincidentally.
2: It was showing at the Broadway Theater, a local art house uh, movie theater, that week. Like, <laughs> I was just flabbergasted. It was a double bill, midnight horror movie, uh, and I... I was walking down the street and there was a poster on one of the poster boards downtown and I went I know that image and I went back and looked and I went oh my god it's actually it's on the big screen the odds of that And Mm. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I just... Having (laughs) watched it on the small screen, I can say that that was $7 well saved. I don't care how good the other film in that special feature was. And I don't know what would be added to this film by seeing it in a big screen. (laughs) Well, to a certain extent, it's like going to see Rocky Horror or something like that. I think you get that kind of (laughs) oddball crowd, which adds a little bit to the experience. But really... I got plenty on my own, <laughs> you know, with a stiff drinks inside.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, let's get started. And since we dug into burial ground,
0: so I can just start there.
1: Okay, um, Burial Ground, The Knights of Terror. Wow. Um, I was going off on uh, Dario Argento a little bit during the introduction here. Um, One of the many things that I do have to thank him for is sort of popularizing zombies. If not for Dario Argento, I don't think we would have got George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. And we certainly wouldn't have got the Dario Argento cut of Dawn of the Dead, which was so popular that it spawned this subgenre of Italian exploitation films. Much the way when there was a couple of, you know, successful Clint Eastwood westerns, they would then, you know, make a bunch of cheap Italian spaghetti westerns, as they were called, knockoffs. This is sort of the zombie version of that. It's not exactly like the zombie movies you're going to see and are made in the United States, um, but they are stealing a lot from that. They're just adding a lot more sleaze and uh, that really horrible pastiche of bad dubbing, which we had in not one but two of these movies to contend with. Rick, I'm sorry, but uh, it's time. What did you think of burial Grounds?
2: You know, it's, it's a strange thing uh, when very early in the, mo- in the movie, you want everyone involved dead. <laughs> you, you really don't want anyone to make it. And at the end of this movie... You get your wish. Mm-hmm. No one survives, and you're still not satisfied. It needed more. It was it was awful, and <laughs> the, there was the, there was I moments in the film that I kept knowing. I knew that I was in for a bad time. I knew I wasn't going to enjoy this. Right at the beginning, with the the unexplained professor doing research on crips or something. you got like
1: a Klondike beard.
2: Yeah. And when he successfully casts this spell, spell, okay, a spell. It's like that's kind of a combination of zombie and you know fantasy, but whatever, whatever, it doesn't make any sense. Doesn't have to. Um, and then he's saying, "No, I'm your friend," as they tear him to shreds. Yes. I just went I, I said this is this is terrible. This is <laughs> this is going to end this is not going anywhere that I liked to see this film go. Yeah, so
1: I, I got this in a package uh, with, I think, three other zombie movies. It came in the little group package of zombie flicks. And uh, similar to you, I'd be about five or ten minutes into this, and I'm like, okay, this is not going to be good. Then I flip it over, and I say, okay, it's 85 minutes long. What's the thing in this movie? was going to be this one scene that's going to present itself that's deemed it worthy of its cult significance. Kept on waiting for that scene, right? I Kept on waiting
2: for that scene. It, it never came. It didn't. It's, it never came. There was... There were so many... That's the thing that was so... Like, it's... Okay, you knew very quickly. It's like, okay, you've just got a bunch of, you know, obnoxious hedonists who have showed up, and they're going to get punished by the, the living dead. It's <laughs> like... So, you don't have to think too hard about this film. But... There's just, and it's it's partially like the bad dubbing as well, because, you know, you get that feeling that, man, whoever they paid to do this translation or, like, how did they come up with some of these lines? Um, it's like, there was one exchange. Well, I've got all these exchanges that I ended up having to just throw away because there was too many of them to deal with. <laughs> but it was, uh, there was, and I don't, sorry, I didn't keep a list of the characters' names because ultimately... They're, they're not important. Matter. They're not important. But uh two a guy and a girl are exchanging this conversation. I hope we're going to leave the dead alone. I had a terrible dream last night. Janice, calm down and let's go outside. Okay. Yeah weird
1: you know what what i respect there the writing (laughs) (laughs) now again something is being lost in the translation but there's no love being put into this at all they're not trying
2: (laughs) no they're not trying to i don't know tell a story even it's just and moving on let's get to the you know the death
1: (laughs) we need to have boobs we need to have uh, slow, slow zombies with their weird still face masks. It's one of the differences you'll see in a lot of the Italian zombie movies. The, the faces seem to be static. They're all like just still masks, uh, whereas they're a little bit more lively. <laughs>
2: well, that was another thing that was annoying me early on uh, in, when the zombies started showing up. Because I'm going, okay, there's black mesh covering their mouths. It's like they're wearing a mask that's a full face mask and I'm going how frightening can a monster be that actually doesn't have a mouth yeah. it's like now later on see and there was another point where I thought that I was going this obviously doesn't have a big budget and they did a zombie kill where they didn't show anything mm-hmm. and I went oh they've got no budget for like headshots apparently and then later on in the film they started you know, crushing zombie heads and I went oh well okay fair enough. They the, did have a bunch. They
1: would do that but you could tell that these were things shot separately. You'd see the guy firing the weapon and then you'd, you know, it would cut to an extreme close-up of a, you know a squib going off in the gut of one of the zombies. It looked in a different room entirely sometimes.
2: Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't very effective. It you know, felt
1: more. slapped together and uh, honestly, I think the thing that gives the film this reputation is the incest angle. <sighs> you're welcome Thank yeah you. <laughs> yes yeah.
2: michael or the freaky eyeball kid as yeah. he became of number.
1: course they <laughs> couldn't get a, a little kid to play such a role so he's just played by a, a, a an actor who was uh, I don't know if he's a uh, dwarf or what. The, what the significance of it. he? He's just a small, small guy, and he he looks. He doesn't really look like a kid. He doesn't really look like an adult. He just he's creepy before he's even supposed to be creepy. But uh,
2: oh, it's I I, I hated him but like <laughs> from the very first time he appeared on the screen. I went, oh, that's just wrong.
1: Something like, about him screams danger.
2: It is like it's not that this kid is, and frankly, though it was perfect for the angle they went with that character in the you know in the film it's that you know the attached to his mother jealous of the you know the sexy boyfriend that she had and <laughs> continuing to want to breastfeed at i don't know how old was he nine ten something like that
1: i don't know what they were going for but yeah
2: it was just like he went it was one of those oh no you're ooh.
1: they're really going there he's they, really gonna put his hand in his mom's gear oh dear god Okay, yeah, we were talking about Michael and his, uh, his over-interest in his mother. <laughs> yeah,
2: it was, just, it was just creepy. It was a, a, an additional little thing that just made... There was no way to be sympathetic to, for any of these people. That's why it was so... It was satisfying to see them all dead at the end. It's like you needed them. There was not a redeemable character in the, in the whole movie.
1: Uh, But I wasn't horrified by their fate, either. They didn't deserve their fate. They weren't being killed because they had personally done something wrong. They were just the nearest people in the neighborhood. The fact that they happened to be these shallow, you know, idiots... (laughs) was just a bonus, really, I guess.
2: But the thing is is that you can say that, like, any Friday the 13th movie. Mm -hmm. That, like, the kids that end up getting butchered don't necessarily deserve, you know, that... It's like, yeah, they're, you know... Their sex crazy, you know. They, they get punished because, like, that's the underlying theme. Yeah.
1: But if you're the sixth group uh, to go to that same campground and get <laughs> get killed for acting like a bunch of buffoons, I think you should take personal responsibility, partial responsibility yeah. for that.
2: At least, <laughs> yes, yeah, so it, it was our choice to spend our weekend here. It's
1: like, yeah, so. we thought it would be fun. Yeah, no.
2: But something else that bothered me about this one is that you know, there, there's the zombie genre has different, you know. Certain filmmakers do the slow zombies or the fast zombies. Like, you know, fair enough. Like, that's each approach has its you know, strengths Nerds. and weaknesses. Um, the tool using zombies. That was that was new. I can't say that I've seen that before. And, you know, throwing spikes to pin people's hands to walls. Yeah.
0: See, this is
1: going to a different sort of whole sub-sub-series of genre, uh, zombie movies where they're like uh they're zombies of like old masons, uh and uh they're 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 good with tools and instruments or they're like they're zombie knights type of deal. Like they're they're they still have high combat skills. Uh that sort of got was less popular. sort of the Romero sort of mindless gonna eat you zombies kind of took over the popular space of this. Um it didn't particularly bother me that they used tools and weapons in this It did bother me that it seemed that their victims were willing participants in it. (laughs) Um, Guy will empty his gun. He'll slowly, you know, fire bullet after bullet into the zombies. Well, that's nothing. I guess I'll just lie down. And then they'll tear my guts out of me. Like, uh, I didn't see any fight. The, the woman you're talking about with the tools, she gets, like, a, a spike thrown through her hand and it pins her to the wall. And then they slowly bring this huge scythe up to take off her head. And all she has to do to avoid being beheaded is move her head back a few inches. It, it seems like she obliges them, yes. <laughs> you know? <laughs>
2: like, I'm just going to wait here as you slowly decapitate
1: Yeah, according to the script, this is where I get my head cut off. So I am not going to fight
2: that. But you know, it's and things like you know they used a battering ram to get through the door. Uh, they you know it's power tools. It was just it seemed strange. Again, again, I haven't seen that particular subgenre of zombie movie before, so it just felt a little bit. It wasn't in my experience. Well, so I don't
1: advise that. you to explore the Italian zombie films. Like, it, arguably, like, this is considered one of the better of them. I think, arguably, the, the you know, big ones would be, like, House by the Cemetery and uh, Zombie, which is actually a sequel to the Argento cut of Dawn of the Dead. And that's mainly famous because a shark and a zombie have a fight in it. That sounds awesome! <laughs> yes, well, another day, another day. But, uh, for the most part, they are like this or worse. Um, I would say this is a fairly typical uh, entry into that sort of spaghetti zombie <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, subgenre,
2: and uh, I'm not a fan at all. Well, and something that seems strangely ironic or just annoying, maybe, uh, was one of the characters during the height of the zombie attack. They're talking about going to the armory to get. And I went, oh,
1: okay,
2: good, call. good call. Except this isn't a castle. They're in, like, a, an Italian villa, which is an odd thing to have an armory in. But, okay, I'll buy it. And then the guy comes back, and he's got a single knife that never gets used. Nope. And I went, where's the morning stars? Where's the maces? You know, it's, where, what kind of an armory did you, did you, were you talking about?
1: What else was in the armory? Your nail file? <laughs>
2: like. well, and, and then to bring a knife back and not use it and then not even use it and it's not oh that's just if there's any
1: magic to this movie it's that 85 minutes could seem this long <laughs> I really really had a hard time and when I saw you pick the list I was like that's an interesting title that's an interesting title we can have a lot to say about that when I saw Burial Ground I'm like sorry Rick <laughs> sorry buddy No, and
2: I there, am I'm sorry dude <laughs> yeah there's not much more to talk about it's just
0: yeah agree every day jacob singer goes to work what's wrong oh, it's just one of those days and every day he wonders what is happening to him maybe it's the pressure jake they're like demons just
1: Okay, uh, Jacob's Ladder, uh, from director Adrian Lyne. He's kind of slipped off the map for a little while. I'm not sure what he's been up to lately, but there was a while there where he was sort of your go-to for your sort of big-budget, glossy, sexy thrillers. (laughs) Um, This is a little bit different. Uh, He'd just been off of uh, the big hit, which was Fatal Attraction. Um, This is a film from the author of Ghost, the Patrick Swayze mega-hit. Bruce Joel Rubin is the name of the author uh he is really fascinated with uh well i guess supernatural elements specifically ghosts and uh well the idea of what the other side might be uh themes that are richly explored in in ghost and in jacob's ladder uh jacob's ladder is a much darker number <laughs> than ghost <laughs> ghost you can watch with your grams and have a good time you know that's a that's a sweet little piece of hollywood candy but uh Jacob's Ladder is a little bit more of a bitter pill, and it does not, you know, talk down to its audience. Uh, I think it asks a lot of its audience, uh, but does it work, and is it of uh, any value revisiting?
2: Uh, yes, I <laughs> loved this film. It's, this was one of the only films in the group that I had actually watched when it originally came out. Right. And I remember loving it then, and popped it in the player this time around, and it held up really well. Um, storytelling, performance-wise, effects kept my interest. I had actually, I, you know, there was still, there's elements that I'd forgotten about the movie from the first viewing that I went, that still, like, just blew me away. Yeah. Uh, I thought that this was a fabulous film.
1: There's a weird fever dream quality to this movie. It feels almost not like an Adrian film. It it almost feels Terry Gilliam to me. Uh, This almost seems like a script that should have been to to Gilliam, but but Adrian Lynn got his hands on. That's saying, I'm a big fan of this movie, too. I really do like it. Uh, It's... uh, in the early '90s, Tim Robbins just went through this period where every movie he was in was freaking amazing. There was a it was. It was.
2: <laughs> it's well, and that's and that was the big plus for this movie is that uh, that big, anchor big performance. Tim Robbins, yeah, uh, he's fascinating, interesting character to watch on on screen. Uh, yeah. He's got
1: that sort of big, glassy-eyed, almost kid look to him. Like he looks vulnerable.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, and uh, so. Uh, our, us taking the journey with him uh, is a big part of what makes this movie work. Of course, Adrian Lynn does a lot of work, and there is some visual images that are hard to forget. I'm thinking, of course, of the sort of demonic, shaping, uh, faceless things that were shaking their heads so quickly you could see but not see what they actually looked like. How about the uh, demon meatloaf uh, or
2: chicken in the fridge? Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> Ugh. Um, yeah, I guess uh, apparently in the original script they were looking for uh, uh, more traditional sort of devil imagery, and there is some of that. You see a person with, like, a, a tail, or, or or you see a woman with, like, it looks like a bit of a horn protruding out of the back <laughs> of her head. Uh, apparently it was much more overt. It was Adrian Lin who decided to sort of make it look just more, more frightening and aggressive and less sort of traditionally red, big-horned, teethy, uh, images right
2: well even if he did like dial it back as far as like for if he made that decision it still set the right tone and the and the contradiction between like the demonic imagery and sort of the angelic imagery yeah. that was represented by the Danny Aiello character yeah um, and again it didn't need you could fill in the gaps yourself like because you weren't quite sure what you were looking at and there's an, there was enough it was just pointers to because everybody watching this, you know, some have like the the catholic background and some are different religions and some but people are familiar with the imagery associated with the, the dark afterlife. Yeah. And so you'd see things and you'd you know, bring your own interpretation to what you were seeing and it was very effective.
1: Yeah. Um, the light side like you're saying Danny Aiello is this one sort of force of good although even he seems a little hair crazy (laughs) in the film he's not completely well balanced he's got a temper on him but he's genuinely there to help uh, our our main character and we believe that he's there to help our main character and we can't believe that about anyone else we see in the film Um, you are constantly not sure where you're going to be going to from one scene to the next I mean for me uh, I figured out that I was pretty sure what I was seeing was some guy sort of having a conversation with himself at the end of his life. And I, and I don't think I was wrong about that. But what I couldn't figure out until the movie basically gave it to me is what of these visions were real points in his life? What what are these visions are stories he's telling himself? When did he actually die? When, and you get this one random piece at a time throughout the movie. And the fact that it works as well as it does is... Kind of a miracle, but uh, again, it's uh, it stays with you. It's kind of spooky. <laughs>
2: well, it's uh, you know again, if you, it's hard to look back at a film. This was uh, 1990. Yeah, I think so. And uh, you know, it's you always you know you evaluate these by what you've seen subsequent to that. Yeah, it's like the twist ending uh, in this film, where yes, he's. Basically on the operating table, and these are the last moments of his life, and his life is flashing before his eyes, yeah. and uh, and so you're basically getting your narrator is a dead man.
0: Yes,
2: it's and you've seen this, you know, this particular trope in in other films, and so it's not a surprise. It's like, and yet I was very surprised when I first saw it. I thought it was a you know brilliant little twist, mm-hmm. and but it also worked because. It built on it wasn't just the fact that you know his synapses are failing, and so you're getting all of this random imagery uh, you know that's that's uh, he's trying to make sense of. Uh, but it's also the fact that it was built, the story on a just a plain real level as a, a Vietnam vet potentially exposed to a debilitating toxin yeah. that was causing him hallucinations and mental breakdowns. He was
1: explaining his death to himself.
2: And, and, but it made sense, so, even if he hadn't died at the end, if that hadn't been the twist, right. it was still playing out as a perfectly legitimate story just on that level. Right. Which made it very interesting as well. So there was a couple of different ways you could have gone at the end yeah. which would have equally worked. And, you know, when you know, all of a sudden they cut to the operating room with the MASH unit and they pronounced him dead, I went, oh, I was like, oh! and yeah. all sudden I'm going, yes, okay, this so is what, awesome. What was
1: all the things, so that's why sometimes we see him with his son and his son is alive. And other times we see him, he's mourning his son and his son has died. And sometimes we see him when he's married and he's got his wife with him. And, and a lot of the time we see him, he's with the, uh, Elizabeth Pena, uh, yeah. this sort of volatile, sexy girlfriend, uh uh, that you know, you imagine that maybe he'd seen in like a mailroom somewhere and imagined a life with her. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, but you um, didn't know what was real
2: and what was imaginary and what was you know. And, and he had
1: that fever, and he almost winked out of existence for a second. There was that just his body fi- uh, almost giving out, and then no, we're still gonna we're still gonna chug on a little bit, or it was.
2: Oh, like, it's. I suppose if you listen, like watched it again, looking for those you know, elements, those, those hints, because. You could very easily have seen that being a, um, you know, it's like clear bang. They yeah. give them the paddles and they bring them back.
0: Yeah.
2: And that may be suggestive in the, you know, the background soundtrack track somewhere. It's like, but it's just mixed in with all the other things that are happening and you don't catch that. Yeah. But yes, you can, you can certainly interpret there's lots of ways of interpreting how this story is, is unfolding
1: and the layers of perception i mean the this movie could probably eat inception for lunch in that <laughs> respect because during the fever sequence stupid cars during the fever sequence he actually sort of blacks out and then has like a vision of his wife and then snaps out of that back into the fevers <laughs> you know the, there's levels and layers and you just got to take the ride with this movie but you're in good hands. <laughs> I think it's worth talking about Elizabeth Pena, Uh, because that would be a weird character to play, because she's basically whatever she needs to be in a given scene. So when she's the perfect, you know, sexy girlfriend, she's the perfect sexy girlfriend, but when she turns on him, she's got this real sort of dark side, burning his family pictures, because she doesn't like him remembering the life that he had before her. Uh, And, of course, the very memorable and horrifying sequence in a nightclub where she appears to be fornicating with some kind of demon in the middle of the dance floor. Whoa. (laughs) What area of the psyche was being represented there? (laughs)
2: Well, and, and that's, you know, if you have the background, if you've read a lot of psychology, which I can't say that I have, I'm sure a lot of things like that would make sense you'd understand what the director was going for there but yeah it was just you didn't quite know what to make of it It's uh, and but yeah it certainly was effective as far as you know, getting you out of your comfort zone
1: well, I guess everybody indulges with Sin but uh, why it was represented through her apparently uh, there's a, a scene that ended up not being in the movie where before he makes his ascension at the end of the film he confronts her and she peels her own face away and in a very darth vader moment reveals herself to be him uh so she is basically another part of his psyche was fucking the devil or whatever that was i mean they ended up not using it and the uh, the screenplay either seemed a little choked by it but um i i think that adrian lynn decided at that point you know Jacob had been through enough trials. It was that one thing too many. He needed to take his boy by the hand and be led up to whatever's next.
2: <laughs> uh, <clears throat> the, other, the one thing that I found a small weakness in it, and it's again, it's it's looking back on a film you know many years on,
0: yeah.
2: and it's I was very distracted by the recognizable faces in the, in the supporting cast.
1: And they've just been tainted by them being subsequently very popular. George Costanza. Yeah, and Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, it's I like when we... all of a
2: sudden he's looking at the picture of himself with him, uh, with his kid, and I'm going, oh, God, no, that's just... It just totally breaks you out of the movie. You're Kevin's daddy. Yeah. yeah no, no, it no. doesn't work. And and yeah, like George Costanza. What's the name
1: of the actor? That's going to bother me. We can't just call him George Costanza. <laughs> he is
2: George Costanza. It's like there's no <laughs> Jason Alexander. There, you go. there okay. it was. <laughs> he was actually doing a, a one man show out in PA recently. Really? <laughs> because he was being interviewed on uh, CKOM. I was listening to him, and he was talking about the role. Um, but uh, and how he's just chosen to embrace the fact that that's who everybody knows about. as. Yeah. So. But uh, but yeah, it's other than that, and those are like niggly things. And
1: that's nothing that they could have predicted when they were making the film, you know. No, <laughs> so it's, it's just they wanted a cute little kid. Macaulay Culkin was available. <laughs> <laughs> there it was,
2: right? Yeah, it's uh, and yeah, you just end up getting taking that baggage, you know, adding it on uh, to the film later. Yeah. But uh, but other than that, you know, it's. Uh, the, this this film like it's a, it's sort of surprising when you you go back and watch a film like from three decades ago
0: yeah.
2: um you know you don't you expect it to as far as like the quality of the the film it's like yes it's not like up to digital standards now right. but at the same time you're going but on every other element of it it's fine it's, it's very good <laughs> it's very good it's still like you'd watch that today and it's it's acting's great the storytelling's great the like the filming is interesting the effects are effective
1: if that came out today i would buy it and i would be like well good for them for not leaning on the cgi you, yeah. know? <laughs> you know it's uh, good uh,
2: practical effects and and you know very interesting storytelling and tim robbins Keep that man busy. Yeah. I haven't seen him at anything recently. Yeah. So I don't know if he's kind of retired
1: at this point. He likes directing things. He's sort of going more increasingly producing and behind the cameras. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, by all means, watch Jacob's Ladder. It will make you say "What the fuck!" It is a challenging movie, but uh, it, there is a puzzle to be solved here, and you are rewarded with you know, just going with the movie. I think where I get frustrated with some of the other movies is where I I put my trust in it to pay me <laughs> up, and then. We, dig, we get nothing uh, Jacob's Ladder Gives you your money's worth I
0: wonder where you were going Drive That's where I was going Drive I had a dream about this place Tell me There is No Band And yet We hear a band Diane Camilla
1: Diane, the Carsway. Um, yeah, so let me go on to further shit-talk popular directors of other people. <laughs> like, I was, I was saying bad things about the much-beloved Dario Argento, and then now I'm going to say some negative things about the much-beloved David Lynch. Um, he's one of these guys that, uh, you know, his movies seem to show up on a lot of top ten lists, and I'll see the trailer for the movie, and I'll go, that movie looks really cool. I should check that out, and then I'll check that movie out, and it will disappoint me. (laughs) It happens again and again with me and Lynch. I just... we're not on the same page, (laughs) and, uh, I feel like it's something that I'm deficient in, because I know a lot of people who really love it. And, uh, this movie, Mulholland Drive, a lot of people consider his masterpiece. Um, and it is definitely a worthy what-the-fuck movie. (laughs) Um concerns a young actress played by uh, Naomi Watts who has come to Hollywood from uh, Ontario
2: I believe she says small town rural yeah
1: <laughs> some small town place either in Canada or somewhere in the United States to, to make it big in LA and as soon as she gets there encounters huge evil um, yeah I mean again to try and break down the plot beyond that I don't know because the movie is as soon as you feel like you've got a ground to stand on they tend to take it away from you we are treated to a lot of vignettes of uh, interesting strange people doing interesting strange things shocking bits of violence and some uh you know sexy uh lesbian interludes (laughs) interludes there uh it it sort of introduced the word to Wilton Ami watts i mean she'd been around but this movie kind of made her a star in a lot of ways and it's a difficult and bold performance, but I just can't wrap my head around this movie. And I was hoping maybe you could help me. So, what did you think of *Mulholland Drive*, Rick?
2: I'm probably not going to be able to help understand it because I've just got a sheet full of questions uh, as well. <laughs> um, but you know, it's I've I've enjoyed David Lynch's films. But I read about this, like having watched this, and I only watched it once, which, again, is a problem, because you really need to go back again to try and make sense of a lot of the stuff you're seeing. And, uh, but I was going, I read a little bit about this film, and apparently his original plan was pitching this idea as a TV TV show.
1: Yeah, this was a pilot for a TV show originally.
2: And then they rejected it, so then he fleshed it out some more and turned it into a movie. And that was, you know, that made perfect sense hearing this because it felt like a project that wasn't defined. Like, it, it was a confused project. There was, like, alternate, you know, agendas and alternate, like, objectives involved in it because it felt like two separate stories. Like, you could kind of piece together you know, like that they all linked like they all linked together, but it felt like there were two different movies here that got squashed together with a whole bunch of extra scenes that really didn't belong. And then you ended up with this kind of hodgepodge of filmmaking that was interesting, you know, and you know, well well constructed in its way, but didn't follow sort of a coherent to a coherent endpoint, Yeah. Like that's that's the thing that I I was going I could feel two different directions he was going in and and it just it kind of confused me.
1: Why are we spending so much time with this Hollywood director who's buck and rolls with the mob? Um, the mob is a huge threat to this uh, one character Laura Elena. She suffers a, a car accident and has the I think exclusively to the movies and television condition of amnesia, where she can't remember who she is. She bumps into our, our main character, they become the bestest of friends, and she decides to help solve her mystery. Whereas all of the people in the mob retaining, pertaining to her seem very dangerous to some sort of huge supernatural, even demonic evil. When this director char- character we keep coming back to is regularly defying the, the mafia, they just keep on sending people to talk to him and convince him that this is what he needs to do, Uh, yeah, they did seem like two different movies, two different unrelated movies, so much so that I don't think the movie reconciles it I think in the last half an hour they change it up to accommodate that other unrelated
2: movie Uh, so we have to end this somehow so... we gotta
1: try and make sense of this somehow, or at least make them think that we had a master plan, and I think that's what I found frustrating about this because I do think that there are isolated moments of this movie that are terrifying, first of all, and really well made, and like that honest, an honest filmmaker made that sequence, and that sequence is put together really well, and that worked, but it's not serving anything bigger, I think it's what he gets on that day, and then the next day is a different day, you know and uh, it, it does not it does not work for me uh, I feel like not anybody could make a David Lynch movie but anybody could make a movie like this where there was just a bunch of disparate haunting nightmare images and then roll credits and make of it what you will, people. But for me, there's got to be a master plan, and I didn't see one here.
2: Well, and yeah, there was also a comment I read that uh, David Lynch in interviews does not explain what he was going for in this film. He does not
1: discuss themes. He does not discuss, you know, things like this. No.
2: It's more because he doesn't know what the hell he ended up with. That's it. He's, you know, uh,
1: I think above the Baldamenti score and the weird tones and the layers of whispers that they put in there, faintly you can hear David Lynch masturbating. <laughs> because, I, honestly, it's like he can get away with anything. And his subsequent films, I think go further to, art, to, to my point, you know. Uh, he, can, he can release pretty much anything, and the art crowd will politely clap for him. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I, I honestly don't think they're that deep. I think that they're kind of just sort of trashy art wankery.
2: <laughs> well, and, and that's, you know, it, when I compare, like, this film with Jacob's Ladder, is that the imagery, like, the weird imagery in Jacob's Ladder make perfect sense. Uh, because, like, you could equate it to, you know, toxin exposure, uh, mental breakdown, what have you, and it all and it seemed reasonable, uh, like a reasonable interpretation of what was going on on screen. And in this film, you sat there and went, "No, this is just weird for weird's sake." He's inserting this oddball character in a sterile, clean room, who's what the mafia kingpin, you know, this dwarf character but it's
1: that's right out of twin peaks that's that's that's, him repeating himself and that's the
2: thing is that i kept seeing all of this you know homages to his own work in twin peaks from 10 years ago and i'm going yeah like that weird little dwarf character the The music
1: the spooky hairless cowboy dude yeah
2: and i'm going this is this is bs (laughs) like what is why is this stuff in here it doesn't serve a purpose
1: Even to the famous-slash-infamous lesbian sex scene between our two leads, I didn't really feel like that scene came out of anywhere. I didn't feel the tension. I didn't feel that relationship building between them. It was like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a really hot lesbian sex scene in the third act of this movie? Yeah.
2: Well, uh, you know, it it doesn't... (laughs) That
1: makes it exploitive, really. It (laughs) kind of makes it feel ickier to me. (laughs) I would rather this was bound and they were trying to, you know, just do a straight up story you, know, you was, obviously
2: you know, didn't watch that scene enough yeah. so, and the 10th or 11th go through then you, know, you got the point
0: <laughs> well,
1: that's the other thing should you want to skip to that scene uh, David Lynch is such an artiste that uh, the DVD release of Mulholland Drive is all one track so you just well, watch it you take it in all at once you don't stop and start this bitch this is just one piece of <laughs> madness but I do want to not just say bad things about it there's a scene early in the film at the Winkie's restaurant where this guy is talking to, I assumed his psychiatrist. He says he had a dream about this place and that there's a man behind it and that he never wants to see that face while he's awake. It is a fantastic scene and it's quite terrifying and it has, that I can see, nothing to do with anything that came before it and nothing to do with anything that comes after it. I believe we see one of those characters again very briefly later in the film, and there's a couple scenes that happen in a Winkies restaurant, but...
2: But yeah, it's just kind of inserted in there and doesn't... That
1: scene by itself, though, is so good. It makes me wish that David Lynch had it in him to just make a straight-up horror movie, because I bet you it would be freaking terrifying, but he's got to make his David Lynch art wankery.
2: You know, I I have a specific note about that scene on yeah. my page, the Winkies Diner scene. What the fuck? And I think it seemed so strange because it didn't belong with everything else that I saw in that film. And that's what, because was, something was bothering me about it, and that was it, is that it was it was too good on its own, and it didn't connect with anything else.
1: But, I mean, he was just... He was on fire that day. Yeah. That was a good day. And then the next day came, and he was like, yeah, we're going to need a soft focus on some leaves in the driveway. Yeah.
2: Uh, And we're going to need these two actors walk out of a paper bag in miniature. Yeah. 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 And he just went...
1: Okay, yeah. Naomi Watts' character arrives in L.A., and she's met this elderly couple, and they seem really sweet. And then we see a shot of them in the back of a limousine.
2: With the rictus grins.
1: They just look really fucked up and (laughs) horrifying, and like they know a really big secret that she does not, and it's creepy. And by the time you've finally forgotten about them, yeah, they show up. It looks like they crawl crawl out of a paper bag and under the door and then appear before her and chase her around. But wait, this isn't even the same character anymore, is it? Because the Naomi Watts character transforms two-thirds of the way through the movie into another character who we'd already discovered earlier in the movie... Dies in this apartment. We just get to see, presumably, I guess, how she dies in the apartment. I don't know, Rick. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, You know, the climactic moment of this film, one of the characters kills herself. And uh, I'm like, she could have, you know, used that gun to defend herself. She could have killed herself. Or she could have killed me. I just wanted (laughs) out at that point. I was like, it's really frustrating, though, because talent... ...is behind the camera, but...
2: Well, and and then if you, you sit there and you go, okay, if you try and establish a different interpretation of what you're seeing, that, okay, she couldn't use the gun on the old couple because they were actually in her mind, and she was a... Turning her mind off. It was a drug addict, you know, kind of situation where she was hallucinating all these things, and... But then why was it set up earlier in the film? But that's the whole point, is that <laughs> yeah. yes the more you stretch to try and come up with an interpretation that takes all of these disparate elements and and explains them, means that you're just wasting your time. It's not possible to explain everything, so stop it. Just sort of (laughs) toss it out.
1: But I think that the problem people have with the David Lynch films and we don't know what to do with them, it's sort of like challenging art, or, you know... People get upset with the Canadian government for spending a quarter million dollars on a painting of a red line <laughs> down the middle of a, a blank canvas, right? Yeah. I kind of get that outrage. But I also kind of get that someone will argue somewhere that that's art. But, uh... <laughs> well, people can argue that this is art. I don't know that I agree. But I, I can't outright dismiss it, I guess.
2: <laughs> no, there's there's certainly... There- elements you can pull items out of this film and hold them up and say this is an example of you know a guy you know at you know at, at the peak of his craft you know he can make certain scenes he certainly has some very good ideas but in this case yeah he was kind of somebody needed to rein him in uh and you know take a bit more control over this project to get a better screen like know right, it's The screenplay needed revising or something to... Hey, look, if you want to
1: make an artistic, weird tone poem of a movie, that's fine, but maybe keep it to 80 minutes. At two and a half hours, it's oppressive. I'm I'm pleasantly surprised that it seems like you agree with me about this movie, because this is a beloved movie. This is a really beloved... There are people that will tell you that Mulholland Drive is like the best movie of the 90s, and I want to shake those people. (laughs) shake
2: them hard with their head against a wall (laughs)
1: Um, you know what it's hard not to look at at the next David Lynch film but like I say I'm almost always disappointed Uh, so Mulholland Drive continued that trend
0: they say seeing is believing but only a split second of time separates the past from the future The present is crushed between them. A thin thread of life in a skein of death. Laura! Laura! Where are you?
1: Okay, uh, here's one from the Wayback Machine, 1973. I was not yet born.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i was just well seven years old <laughs> there you go
1: um don't look now starring uh, julie christie and donald sutherland um kind of uh, an infamous movie on a lot of levels uh, divisive people seem to really love it or really hate it it's got a, a famous sex scene in it that a lot of people argued was not uh was there was a legitimate sex scene it was like the real deal Oh, okay. <laughs> um which is interesting because i think julie christie was in a relationship with uh warren beatty at the time so there's a lot of trash talk about this movie about the sexual stuff that went around in this movie and uh, donald sutherland and julie christie and blah 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 stuff that has nothing to do with the movie itself which i think is actually pretty interesting i think it's of its time but uh It's an art piece in a similar vein, I guess, that Mulholland Drive was, but it's an art piece, I think, that makes a little bit more sense. Okay, scratch that. A lot more sense than Mulholland Drive. Uh, What did you think of Don't Look Now?
2: Well, just to get the sex scene out of the way, it's like I had gone 43 years without seeing Donald Sutherland's naked ass, and I'm really not feeling that you know much improved in my own look now that i have seen it
1: even at his prime it was still just a saggy white man's ass <laughs> it was, you know, it's,
2: like the fact is that nowadays if they're going to put a naked guy in in a movie you got to be like all rippling muscles and taunt you know top bucks but uh yeah so in that sense it was like a regular married couple scene. Yeah. although there were some some of his moves looked a little awkward i was mm. Yeah, it was going, what is he doing there? It's It seems strange. But anyway, it was uh, fairly you know risky at the time, you know, tame compared to tame by today's
1: standards, and they're cutting between these fairly somewhat graphic images of sex to, like, mundane, you know, getting out of bed, brushing your teeth in the morning. Okay. Uh, and they're basically layering in, you know, that the couple's trying, but there's not a lot of life in them. And the reason is that, as in a lot of horror movies, they've suffered a horrible tragedy. Yes. What is this horrible tragedy?
2: Uh, their daughter drowned in an accident. Yes. Uh, and yes, it's, it's as it would with any parent. It's, it's completely changed their the relationship and the course of their life from that point on.
1: So, yeah, they are trying to stick it out, they're trying to stay together. Typically, with tragic events like this, couples will very often split. In fact, more often than not. You get that they love each other, you get that they're trying. Um, I also feel like, I think Donald Sutherland is suffering especially, is is especially acute because he seemed to have a premonition of his daughter's death.
2: He did, and it was, you know, it's strange because it like in the the present in the movie mm-hmm. you get the the sense that he's the one on the surface he looks like he's the one who's moved on mm-hmm. and put it being not able all. to put it behind him when all. in fact it's actually the complete opposite is that he's just in denial
1: this movie's about letting go of things i think and this is me sort of putting it together after having you know thought about it um uh, no, he, he seems like he's being the stronger one But, you know, whenever he sees that red raincoat He immediately believes that's his daughter And he goes chasing that fantasy um, And I think that he has got some psychic abilities Sort of like a Jack Torrance from The Shining thing. That sort of came into my head the main character in The Shining, in, in the book especially He's got the same gift that his son does It's just not as big, it's not as acute And he doesn't recognize it when stuff creepy happens, he explains it away, and he goes and has a drink, you know, because he doesn't want to believe that he's psychic. And I think this is a similar thing with with Donald Sutherland's character. He doesn't want to believe that his girl is warning him to get out of Venice from from Beyond Death. He doesn't want to believe that he actually had a premonition that his daughter would die, and he doesn't want to believe that he saw his wife going to his own funeral. Uh, all of these psychic visions that he has leads him to this inevitable conclusion that the movie kind of brings us to. Um, and uh, I think it's his sort of war with himself. He needs to let go, and he can't. That is what this movie is about, and what works for me.
2: And if he had been able to accept it... And, yeah, his wife starts to try and convince him that this is actually what's happening. And, yeah, he just dismisses it and is not willing to deal with it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's basically... He kind of has a hand in his own death.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's a tragedy. The whole... It's a very dour movie, like... And it's also quite long and quite slow-moving. And that's something that I'd want to prepare people for if they were going to watch the movie. It's definitely that 70s aesthetic... It shows you. It doesn't tell. A lot of scenes breathe and stretch out longer than maybe you feel they need to. But uh, you gotta, you gotta kind of enter into the movie knowing that this is the beast you're going to. And I think it has its rewards. And I think it, there's a lot more to the movie than an infamous sex
2: scene. Well, and yeah, exactly. If you can't, if you're not willing to sit there and actually watch scenes unfold at a, at a slow pace because like now everybody's so used to fast storytelling yeah. that yeah lots of people wouldn't have the patience for to sit through a movie like this and it is it's it's like a little character drama that incorporates you know these sort of psychic elements in it and it's it's a mystery and it's yeah it takes some time to actually sit there and get you know the, the meaning out of the scenes um, so yeah it takes you know it's you got to work at it to get well,
1: this to... and I do want to say this is my take on the film I don't know that this is necessarily the take on the film that's what I got out of it uh, as far as him his being psychic because when he's in Venice there's that scene where he sees his wife who should be in England attending to their other son who had suffered an injury um, that's an interesting wrinkle in the screenplay actually um, but then there he sees his wife on this like barge wearing black looking upset and uh, he's trying to figure out what that was well that was a vision that was a psychic vision and if he could accept the fact that he he does have premonitions he could have said that this is yet another warning that i need to not be in venice <laughs> well,
2: well and, and the thing is that after that happens you know he's yeah he approaches it as if she's done something else like she hasn't agreed to go back home like he thought she was that like mm-hmm. she was hanging around yeah
1: there's some sort of sinister implication
2: some, and uh, but then once he talks to her on the phone, he, knows. It's, he should have all the you know, confirmation that he needs that there's something more to what's happening here. Um, but he just can't, can't accept can't it. Accept it.
1: Uh, there's some red herrings, too. And I get him being skeptical of the blind psychic lady. Yikes. <laughs> She's creepy, first of all. And secondly, this would be somebody that you'd be disgusted with, especially if you took a hard line on, on psychics, you know? Yeah. We just suffered a loss, and now you're pref- befriending my wife and telling her that our daughter's in a better place and that she's trying to warn us about something. You bitch. I get him not wanting to listen to them. Like, that—that like that is a really horrible, exploitative racket, you know? <laughs> you can take advantage of people who are suffering, and I, I understood his skepticism, and the fact that they were also on the boat made that extra sinister. But I do believe in the end, she was legitimately psychic, and she legitimately meant well.
0: <laughs> well, just... we,
2: we sit here and look at we interpret characters like that with a sinister agenda, yeah. Because that's kind of you know it's it's the cynic, cynicism of this age. I guess is that no, there's no such thing as psychic powers. You're all charlatans. You're frauds. Well, and so people who are you know saying that you know oh yes I've had a vision is that they've got an agenda yeah and so yeah he basically you know and with it's a reasonable assumption in his part that these two characters are a bunch of con artists yeah. who are trying to take advantage of his wife somehow
1: and i think the movie does try to frame them spookily like it does try to make us wonder about these ladies if they're on the level um but uh yeah of course uh julie christie completely embraces them and, and believes them right away and Donald Sutherland cannot. Okay. Um, I do think it's an interesting th- bit, and it almost seems like an addition, an afterthought of the writer or something like that, that all of a sudden they have another kid who's at a private school who suffers an injury. Uh, especially considering how completely ruined they were, what, what happened to their daughter. You'd think that they'd be taking their kid with them to Venice, or at least having the kid close, or that that child would have been mentioned before that moment in the film. I thought that was kind of a weird. Oh, they needed to get her out of the Venice for a while so he could have this vision, right? So how are we going to get her out? Uh, her son is injured, but we didn't. It's just her son is injured. You
2: know? <laughs> we just what's a good enough reason? Yes. Why to would she her? leave her
1: husband in Venice? Yes. Yeah.
2: Especially when you know, yeah, she had to have a good enough motivation to take her away. Yeah, because the scenario that was unfolding in Venice should not have you know. Would not, she would need a damn good reason to leave. Yeah. And yes, the only real, what's, what's the easiest motivation for a mother to leave? Is yes, one of her children are in danger.
1: Yeah. and that's an easy fix. Her, yeah. her, her father suddenly fell ill or something like this. I thought that felt strange. And I do think they hit some notes pretty hard in this film. Uh, the the water imagery, the opening where where Donald Sutherland you know finds his daughter and is, lets out that yell is so horrible. Uh, I mean, it's good. It's a it's an effective sequence, but it's upsetting. Um, you know, he sees a body being pulled out of the water in Venice, and then we see flashes of that again. Like we don't need that. I think we understand if he sees a drowned woman, it's going to remind him that his daughter died know. it's not like that isn't the preeminent thing on his mind every waking moment right he's at ground zero of the grief of this so we didn't need that <laughs> I didn't think um, but you know
2: it's uh, you know there were some there's there some elements that actually made me like were quite funny like not intentional funny but just odd, uh, <laughs> odd moments there you know it's at the uh, now they said that they were this was like they were the only residents in that hotel that they were staying in. Yeah, because it was so. it was the you know the down season, and they were just about to close for the the end of the season. And I just laughed. It was the manager stops to talk to Donald Sutherland and say, "It's like you're staying for supper, right?" And then the chef comes out and he goes, "No, we're eating out." And they just looked so sad. Yeah, they were just <laughs> like, but but but. <laughs> but. Oh, and I just I laughed. I went, That is such an odd thing. Gosh, I just... It was like slapping a baby or something. (laughs) It's like, get out of here. I'm not eating in your restaurant. But you're our only customer.
1: And it's a strange touch in a fairly seriously-minded psychic thriller.
2: Well, and then there was that bit where they're they're showing him working on that. uh, He's standing on two separate ladders Mm -hmm. trying to move this statue, this stone statue into place. And I just going okay work safety rules in italy at this time are obviously not very strict and uh and then he falls and grabs onto a rope and it's meant to be you know the implication is that something is out to get him he's yeah. going to die and i said he brought that one on himself yeah. he's being a moron it's like what kind but of but again a... <laughs>
1: thematically that works uh and uh also, if he was warned that something terrible was going to happen to him in Venice, well, something terrible almost happened to him. Phew, I've avoided that. I'm safe, right? Wow. It's, there's there's lots of ways you can play with that. Um, and as far as him, you know, not looking where he's stepping and being careless, I think, again, thematically with him just not being able to accept these visions for what they are, he just keeps pressing on, even though he's putting himself in more and more danger. Uh, it's a stretch. I admit it's a stretch, but it's there. It just,
2: yeah. And then, yes, the the little twist at the end. I was going, what is it with weird killer dwarfs? Yes. <laughs> it's like, because that kind of, I went, oh, and it's the serial killer. Correct. The
1: then the serial killer aspect of the film is pretty much in the background of the the story uh and yeah all of a sudden the the little woman in the red coat which he assumes is his daughter is this crazy dwarf woman with a butcher knife
2: is it a woman i thought it was a guy
1: it was it a... i don't know it's hard to tell <laughs> i thought it, for some reason in my head it was a woman but uh I, yeah you, you only get one good look at the, at this person so yeah
2: it was but yeah you just kind of went Really? Okay, well, I guess...
1: Why was it a dwarf? Well, because then the size would match with the little kid. Yeah. But why was she wearing the red slicker? We don't know. Or maybe was he just seeing the red slicker? I don't know. No. Uh, There are... Not everything is wrapped up in a neat little bow, but it's not Mulholland Drive. (laughs) I think that every scene was considered and has something to do with what came before and what comes next. So I'll give the movie that much. Um, And yeah, whatever you say about that ending, that image is pretty... Pretty burned into my brain.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It does stand out at that moment, but very unusual. Full of
0: old-fashioned friendliness. The kind of town everyone likes to visit. This is the road to Potter's Bluff. There is no road out. Welcome to Potter's Bluff. From the creators of Alien Terror brought down to earth dead and buried is there any way whatsoever to reanimate people after they have died to get them to walk around
1: okay uh dead and buried that guy, um the one you, you it's directed by gary a sherman and uh, 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 uh it comes out of the mid 80s or it's, pardon me, like the early 80s it's written by ronald Chusett and dan o'bannon i just talked about dan o'bannon in a previous episode uh zombies Dan O'Bannon wrote and directed Return of the Living Dead. Oh. And he wrote the original draft of the screenplay for Alien.
2: Oh,
1: okay. Um, So uh, this is sort of in between those two works, those two great works. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, this, yes, came out. (laughs) Well, we'll here we go. Uh, This is a small community called Potter's Bluff, uh, which is sort of trapped in time. It seems very stuck in, like, the weird, like, 40s, 50s vibe. Mm -hmm. And uh, not a good place to visit. Um, if you go there, you don't get to leave. You sort of get enfolded into the town. The exact specifics of which is what the plot of this movie sort of slowly unfolds. Uh, James Frantino plays the local sheriff who's trying to uh, figure out wh- why people seem to show up brutally murdered and then are again sighted later in town, Fine
2: fine and healthy and happy to be part of the town. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, what's going on? How can they be mutilated one moment and uh, this... It's a
2: reasonable ast- assumption by the local sheriff.
1: <laughs> Something's afoot. <laughs> um, this is uh, There's a few infamous things about this movie. Um, Jack Albertson, who plays the mortician, and spoilers, the central villain of the film. It's his last acting ro- role that he did. And apparently he was playing quite strongly against type Um, and it was the first big sort of special effects show off work for um, special effects expert Stan Winston who would go on to great things Um, and the special effects I think are quite strong there's an infamous scene in which a needle is injected into the eyeball of a person in a full body cast which is quite uh, quite horrifying it it was uh, yeah
2: it it left an impression
1: Uh, so uh, I'm getting a not good vibe from you about your opinion of Dead and Buried. Uh, what'd you think, Rick?
2: Actually, it was okay. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it reminded me of a weak Twilight Zone episode. Like it was, there was nothing in here. There was a few scenes in it that were kind of painful to watch. James Ferentino's complete over-the-top reaction when he finds out what the mystery is yeah. was just absurd i don't know what
1: i it had echoes of planets of the apes for me oh, <laughs> you
2: maniacs <laughs> you blew it up you know and and it really came out of nowhere because it was pretty straightforward kind of naturalistic performance up to that point it's uh, so it just made it just seem like really bad acting choices. I'm not sure how the director let him get away with it. Right. Or if that was the director's call and said, no, I want you to do it like that. But well, it just
1: I agree it was over the top, but I mean, he was taking in a lot of pretty difficult information at the time. Um, and, you know, I, I say well, woulda, coulda, shoulda, that's that's what we got out of that. Don't
2: they say in film, you know, you go for the subtle reaction yeah. in theater, you go for the bigger reaction because you're playing to the back row? Uh, to like,
1: quote the perpetually underrated brain candy, <laughs> you know, it's the little things. <laughs> it is the little things, yeah, especially in film. So,
2: yeah, so it just, it felt, it's felt strange i like i yeah i get it i buy that yes he was receiving a lot of shocking information <laughs> yeah, at yes. that moment at the same time it was just a little bit ridiculous there's
1: a little heston in that performance
2: <laughs> yeah. you know the fact that he wasn't tearing his shirt open <laughs> was you know Oh, yeah. so but like, generally it was like you've seen this kind of storytelling you know before like the mysterious town with the secret yeah you know and there's the outsider who who in this case happens to be an insider but mm-hmm. who's not in on the secret yeah and uh, so you've seen this kind of story told before, and it's so it wasn't really nothing that surprised you about it, like it was like it's like okay, like it was well done in its way the
1: severity of it kind of surprised me at times. Uh, the violence is pretty brutal
2: well yes, there's I guess it depends on. It was a little bit graphic, but nothing was standing out at me. Right. Again, sort of looking at it as an older film. It's like, at the time, it would have felt a lot... You know, it would be like, wow, like, look at what they're doing here. But again, when you measure it up against lots of you know, modern films you've seen, it's it doesn't... Nothing you've seen there sort of just goes, oh, my God, I can't believe they did that. Yeah. It's, uh, in that sense, it it loses a little bit of its power for that.
1: I think it's because it's got a bit of a Mayberry vibe to the town. Like, the fact that everybody uh, looks like they're from the 1950s, and you sort of, they explain this. It's sort of this place that's stuck in time, and this guy's creating the world, uh, and, you know, (laughs) the way the Republicans imagined it was in the 1950s where everybody got along perfectly well, and there was, you know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no problems anywhere. anywhere uh, to have that sort of apple pie existence subverted by this kind of like horrendous violence. Stepard they don't just kill wives, this. Yeah, the step- yeah. <laughs> They don't just kill the guy too. You know, they light him on fire and watch him burn and scream while taking pictures of him. There's something really horrible <laughs> about that, and uh, the, the, the the their stoicness of them as they just sort of stand there looking at him as he's dying a horrible, horrible death. And then the next scene, these same people are just hanging out in in the diner, reading a paper, sipping a coffee. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I think it's... And it's definitely deliberate, but that sort of... Those two things don't seem to belong together. This idyllic idea of what a small-town life could, and once upon a time, was. But in order to sustain it, horrible violence. (laughs) Horrible, horrible violence. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Yeah,
2: it's... uh... But it was also you know a little confusing because at the you know at the end when they had that scene uh, when they were, when the sheriff was learning about the mystery mm-hmm. and found out that he was a a resident of the town you know originally yeah. and was murdered by his wife it's like that was I I was more put off by that because that was you know how does
1: a, he not know that how
2: well yeah the <laughs> the awareness of him and his wife. To the the state that they are, mm-hmm. like a reanimated corpse is is inconsistent
1: it is because they look different than the rest of the town too. They look very modern, whereas the rest of the town, like I say, was trapped in this time warp. Yeah. Uh, if they were continual members of the town and if he was trying to make them this idyllic part of the town, well, why not suit them up in the same gear as everyone else? I think that was more to keep uh, the audience from from, from understanding together, yeah. the the re- revelation too mm-hmm. soon. Uh, because it doesn't really make sense if you think about it in context of the plot. Um, but, I, again, I think you're you dead on in saying, like, it's a mid-level Twilight Zone. It's You're not wasting your time necessarily by watching the movie, but it's not necessarily enriching you either. No.
2: Well, and it's that's... a
1: slight meal, but it doesn't hurt any feelings. Um, but I do think it is worthy of a What The Fuck title. I just... <laughs> Well,
2: there was, like, the one thing, well, there's lots of things that I was you know, questioning as I was watching this film but at the end I was going okay so the undertaker is the one who's been converting all these people mm-hmm. and he converts himself at the end and I went how did he cut his own heart out to complete the surgery because that was part of it is that you had to remove the corpse's heart and they showed him you know doing the surgical surgical procedure on himself and I went no, no. That I don't. Buy. You need
1: a laboratory assistant. <laughs> yes,
2: somebody's going to have to do the final stitching, and it's not you, buddy. It's uh... Uh,
1: a word on horror movie logic too. From this movie, at the very beginning of the film, there's this tourist who's taking pictures along the beach, and you know the credits. I don't think have rolled yet. At this point, you're pretty sure something bad's going to happen to this guy, and then he uh, this beautiful woman appears out of nowhere and starts posing for pictures for him and then starts taking off her top and, 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 and seducing him. I, I, I have to think even in real world if something like this was to happen you would run screaming from this clear siren <laughs> like this this does not happen you're either in a horror movie or you know you're about to get robbed because this does not happen <laughs> you,
2: you have a remarkable lack of self preservation in this moment you should be looking behind you and over your shoulder right now
1: and again the townspeople start showing up there's that weird sinister thing it's almost like the, the birds showing up on this swing sets and the birds in the background slowly more and more people are showing up to watch
2: Yeah, and one of them is Robert Unglund yes, which is
1: Freddy Krueger himself <laughs> yes,
2: prior to that and you know, it's, it was a little you know, you always have to get your start somewhere and in, yeah, a little genre horror movie it's uh, it was a welcome little addition there
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> he was happy to get the part, I'm sure at the time he had no idea how many hours in the makeup chair laid before him, <laughs> but yeah again I, I think that uh for ho- like real horror fans there's a lot of people involved in this project who are interesting like, like i say makeup effects and uh dan o'bannon and, and uh it's just sort of an interesting collision of talent it's not a doesn't knock it out of the park but uh it's certainly not boring <laughs> no
2: it's it held it held its interest for you know while watching it again it doesn't stay with you too long it's uh and it doesn't hurt to watch it's okay. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, you know, you could see, get the same thing out of a, you know, a a mid-level Twilight Zone. Yeah. And it's like, it was all right.
1: Twilight Zones are only an hour or two. This one's 94 minutes. Yeah, (laughs) so you
2: can get out there, get out of there a little bit faster. is the new girl
0: in a strange school. She's taunted by her classmates, haunted by a deadly secret. Is not normal and caught up in a murderous wave of terror. When the murderer hides his victims, he likes to keep in physical contact with them. But Jennifer's got a few million close friends. Insects never. I love insects. You're in a position to do
1: extraordinary. So we started this list of reviews with a badly dubbed zombie movie, (laughs) Uh, and uh, we're going to end this list of reviews with a badly dubbed. Not zombie movie, although I kind of wish there were a few zombies in here just to spice it up a little bit.
2: Well, um, Jennifer Connelly kind of you know, has much, has as much expression as a zombie during this whole film. So yeah,
1: I don't want to be too mean to Jennifer Connelly, and you're right; she's a total deer in headlights throughout this movie. <laughs> but she was also 15, I believe, when she made it, and was just cast basically because she was a model, and Dario Argento thought she was beautiful, and he's not wrong. But she's 15; she's not even old enough to properly ogle yet. Good God. Uh, yeah, this Jennifer Connolly plays a girl who's named Jennifer, and I'm sure that was very helpful to her as an actress. Uh, <laughs> goes to this Swiss boarding school, uh, which is suffering a bunch of mysterious deaths. Um that's about as much setup as I'm gonna give the movie <laughs> before we can get into it. Um I was saying that I'm not as big a fan as Dario Argento as a lot of horror movie fans seem to be a lot of buffs really bow at the altar of Argento. Here's an, a bit of evidence, I think, to my favor. Argento considers this one of his best films.
2: I'm, bowing before the altar, putting him on the altar, <laughs> is, is actually a more appropriate metaphor for this. Because I knew very quickly I was going to have a serious problem with this film when I heard the following. People call this the Swiss Transylvania. Why? I don't know. They just do. What is the point of writing a line like that? <laughs> it adds nothing to the story. It doesn't, it's just like, ugh. There's nothing to, uh, and there's tons of those kinds of things. Again, it's a poorly conceived translation of an Italian script, and they paid the guy 20 bucks to do the translation, mm-hmm. and he just knocked it off and it's
1: probably the same guy who dubbed the knights of terror (laughs) it's
2: garbage it's just painful i hate bad script writing it's just so because it just you have to keep hitting the pause button and like head butting the screen it's like hoping that the impact will translate into the film and shake some sense out of it it's
1: terrible and sometimes if you have a weak script you at least have actors that are committed enough that somehow manage to sell you this damaged bill of goods Mm. this is not the case in phenomena Uh, here's an interesting true story about larry and i'm bringing this up because it's more interesting than Phenomena. uh when I was a teenager, I had quite the little crush on Jennifer Connelly, and I would search out her work in video stores, and I came across this movie called Creepers. Which is about a 15-year-old Jennifer Connelly who could psychically control insects, and she used those powers to solve a murder mystery. Sounds familiar, right? It does. It is this movie, and it's an 83-minute version of this movie. And it's terrible, but it's mercifully almost an full half an hour shorter than this movie uh if you can find a copy of creepers on vhs well don't (laughs) but if you could you would save yourself a half an hour and i'm sure it was a lot of just slow walking down hallways or metal music playing in a scene that should be suspenseful some grinding like (laughs) metal (laughs) that's frightening i'm i'm really scared something's gonna jump out of the shadows right now (sighs) Donald Pleasance shows up in the movie, which is criminal. I
2: I know that you know for a guy who's made his career in in genre horror, Mm -hmm. it's like he's had to say a lot of weird stuff. He's been put in a lot of weird situations, and even like I gotta say, like if when he was reading the script, you literally want me to say this bug wants to have sex with you? Yes, it's like. Come on, show... Have a little bit of self-worth. Honestly, when
1: he said that line, this bug wants to have sex with you, I thought he was referring to Argento, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I just... uh, That was my interpretation. Uh, Yes. uh, Jennifer Connelly's character has a relationship with bugs. She can hold bees in her hands and they won't sting her. She loves them. She says she loves them. And coincidentally, right next to her school lives uh donald pleasant's character is an entomologist with his monkey nurse protector and we're gonna go back to the monkey nurse protector because the end of this movie is off the charts bonkers rick whoa um yes he's helping the police in their investigation because uh which is true there is a life cycle thing with insects that can help age a body they can know what generation of maggot is feeding on this body, ergo how long the maggots have been on the body.
2: CSI has turned that into. Yeah, you know, they've used that for eight years. Yeah, so.
1: but in, I mean, in, in mid eighties, I think this was a less common thing, and a, you know, a convenient conceit because we also have the the girl who can communicate with bugs. Uh, she becomes friends with him and his monkey, and. Uh, does not become friends with anybody except for one girl at the school who promptly gets killed off the rest of the school seems to be populated with shallow bitches pretty much entirely
2: (laughs) which you know and as the outsider she's foreign uh, as well as slightly odd um you know there's very much like a a carry kind of feel as well is that
1: You get them bugging her too because it looks like she suffered a really severe head injury. A lot of this movie, she is sort of just staring blankly forward. Like she looks kind of stunned. She looks kind of scared of the camera, frankly. And if
2: she wants to be a target for all these other you know school girls that she's like, she's making herself a target. Yeah, it's uh, she should be the popular girl. You know, (laughs) just looking at her, but she's not in the in crowd. And uh, but apparently in in Swiss uh, boarding schools. Uh, they often ask if uh, you've had sex with your father.
0: Because
2: mm. that was also.
1: No, <laughs> oh, yes, but I don't think she knew that that was her father at the time. And yet it
2: felt so awkward. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, oh, this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. The, again, you can tell Dario Gento co wrote the screenplay, and I think it says a lot about him. Uh, that. Uh, when, she, when she's in danger and she realizes she needs her help and she needs to get out from school, she can't reach her father because he's busy making a film somewhere. She gets a hold of Mr. Shapiro, her daddy's agent or some guy, who's basically looks after her. Uh, uh, like, the fact that she was in danger, like, grave peril. But, you know, they're not going to call her dad. They're not going to pull... Him off of some film set somewhere to go save his daughter's fucking life. No, they're gonna send Shapiro to come and save her. I'm jumping all over the place here, Rick. I'm well, sorry, but
2: you know you could see see. If you take her character and say she got sent off to a Swiss boarding school because she was a troublemaker mm-hmm. at other schools, and so her father is used to dealing with her, mm-hmm. having these episodes. And, but
1: she's not that.
2: But she's not. It's like, although she is like has her issues. Um, she's so, a little stuck up. She's a little yeah. stuck up, but she's got her old bug thing going on. And, uh, and so, yeah, the, the agent puts out the fires when the daughter you know inevitably blows up the situation they've tried to put her in it's like okay you know fair enough uh but you know i don't think he deserved to get killed for it it's uh that was unfortunate
1: yeah basically uh she uses her friend her bug skills to find the house where the bodies are being kept um and then she tries to flee the country uh she ends up getting picked up at a train station by one of the teachers at the school and taken back to where the same place um it's really clear where this going in the third act and we have a fairly standard slasher movie third act a police officer comes in at the wrong time and ends up being handcuffed to the wall and not being able to save her although he sure tries like hell to save her and does not deserve the fate that he gets
2: and the fact though that at one point the that He frees himself from the handcuffs. By
1: breaking his own thumb.
2: Yeah, which was like, oh, I hate those. You know, lots of graphic violence, you know, I can deal with. But it's the little things that feel like you could do those things to yourself. Yeah. Those put me off. And like breaking fingers. Oh, that just brutal. But. He got on top of the uh, the evil headmistress yeah. and was beating her in the face with quite. a
1: chain. Looked pretty convincing, <laughs> and
2: still she got the better of him. That I didn't quite get
1: because Jennifer abandons him.
2: And yeah, she just she, just she runs,
1: runs, and she never goes back for him. As far as she knows, he's still chained to the wall. He was fighting that woman. That was at her at her in her headspace. That's his problem now. <laughs> you know. Uh, but the the chase goes on. She finds out that this woman has a son who presumably has been feeding on these bodies or doing something horrible to them. It's this, you know, malformed little kid that ends up chasing her. She ends up in the water, swimming across a lake, lighting a lake on fire, and gets to the other side of the lake. Now, the movie's already been crazy enough, but now on the other side of the lake, Shapiro shows up. Like okay first of all Shapiro got to the Swiss he figured out where she was to the house and then drove not to the house but to the other side of the lake just as she got on the shore that doesn't make any sense I'm already what the fuck but that's okay he's there for three seconds before he's decapitated by the woman who we assumed was already dead okay maybe that was a surprise twist I legitimately did not expect to see that woman again there she was then she is tackled by Donald Pleasant's monkey how did the monkey get there did Shapiro bring the monkey? well did the monkey just follow her by scent I don't I, <laughs>
2: see, this I,
1: is Dario argento's personal, one of his personal favorite films that he has made, and it is a mess <laughs>
2: well, I was having a problem earlier than that when the monkey after Donna Plasance was killed yes it's uh by the well it's like yeah there was another dwarf (laughs) or kid or uh, that was killing everybody but the monkey leaves its master and goes to a park or some kind of campground it seemed it was just a transitionary stage, and pulls this razor blade out of the garbage can and i was sitting there going wait a second Is the monkey the razor blade killer that they've been talking about since the beginning of the film? Because that's the only way that that made sense. Yeah. Is the monkey, the monkey was pretty handy with that razor blade.
1: Yeah, they set it up earlier when Donald Pleasant saw the monkey holding the razor and said, I don't want to ever see you holding that razor. You could hurt yourself. Um, but no part of me believed it was the monkey. It would have been better if the movie, if it was the monkey. <laughs> but, uh... I,
2: I was I was convinced that the monkey was the original serial killer. Right. It's like, and, which was like, that's what I was asking myself as the movie credits rolled. Yeah. I went, the monkey was the serial killer? No. And it's like, and the, even the fact that that question occurred to me <laughs> realized that we were, you know, off the beaten track no
1: the monkey was the hero of the piece
0: well no but he was
2: was the hero but how did he have the razor blade or did he did the monkey stop the serial killer originally and then throw his weapon in the garbage and knew where to find it it made no sense it was just but you know Frankly, it's made as much sense as anything else that yeah. was going on in that film.
1: But at least, you know, the music and the performances were all atrocious, yeah. so that helped.
2: There was really nothing to, <laughs> to, to latch onto in this film that gave you any semblance that it was, that you could you know, buy into it. It was awful. Mm-hmm. It's like, and just the fact that, yes, you know, it's like Jennifer Connelly, yeah, she's very pretty mm-hmm. at 15, and, and we're going to throw you in the corpse pit. Yeah. and uh, and have you flail around in there for a few minutes. But uh, as you climb out, you're going to get doused with water so that you look very pretty when you climb out of the corpse pit.
0: Yeah.
2: And I just went, really? <laughs> really? No. It's uh, But yeah, they, they wanted to make sure that they were showing her to perfect effect as much as possible, given the circumstances, all the way through this film. Yeah. And yet, but we can't get too, like, so you felt a little bit icky ogling her. And, and,
1: yeah. It seemed like the movie wanted you to ogle her, but, like, she wasn't really being sexualized either. We, no. She's 15. She's a child. And
2: so, yeah, when they wet her down, they made sure that she had more layers on so yeah. that nothing would show through. Uh, and, and they also, I think part of the direction she got was, okay, we're going to need you to scream in certain places. But otherwise, I don't want you to move any muscles in your face because you'd get a wrinkle or something. Mm. So we just want you to look just blandly pretty all the way through.
1: Uh, I, I believe that they, they did put that Novocaine shit in her mouth or something like when they're doing dental surgery. Botox, <laughs> yeah. like Botoxed her face. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I sound like I'm really mean to Jennifer Connelly. Like I said, there was a time where I thought the sun rose and said with Jennifer Connelly. And I do think that she's a good actress but uh, at 15 uh, she was out of her element and... Uh, she got better. I mean, I liked I liked the uh, labyrinth a lot. <laughs> well, and,
2: well, yeah. It's I remember her role in that, and yeah, she had some chops by mm. that point. But uh, but this was the precedent setter for the Kristen Stewart school of acting. Yes, exactly. And
1: just be pretty. Just be pretty. It'll be fine. <laughs> it'll be fine.
2: You know, it's like that's we've got you here for a reason it's like don't don't mess it up
1: <laughs> what i'm saying is even if you just wanted to ogle jennifer connelly if that was your thing to get you into the movie don't it's just don't you're creepy if you're ogling her at 15 and uh it, it's just it's not going to it's not going to be worth your time <laughs> Mr. Rick Rochon, thank you so much. WTF, Volume 2, Rank and Review. Um, thank you for putting up with these six movies. Um, oh, hopefully, but, if you decide you want to do it again, we're going to
2: find you a topic that's a little more agreeable to you. Well, it's, again, I've, I selected these two groups of films, so I have nobody to blame but myself. And they weren't all bad. It's uh, It's been... It's been interesting.
1: Yeah, like I said to uh, Jared, after the first two I did with Jared, we he did uh, uh, Plagues and Apocalypse and Torture Porn. And I was like, the, the only way we're going to get darker than this is if we do snuff films next <laughs> time. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, what was your least favorite of these six movies and
2: why? Uh, well, actually, I was going to start with number five. Okay. Because it's, you know, that leaves some suspense here. Oh,
0: Okay. <laughs>
2: okay, so now, and... Uh, as I, I made it a little bit odd in my rankings in the previous grouping. Right. So I came up with a theme again for Yay. the rankings for this. Bring it. And uh, in this case, it was all uh, variations on uh, forks. Okay. It's like, initially, I was thinking about how far I wanted to stick a fork in my eye to how to watch these movies. But I, I went in a different, uh, a different direction for this. But uh, number five in this group was uh, Phenomenal. Film we just talked about, and this one I categorized as a fork in the balls.
0: Thank you. <laughs> like,
2: so this was like a criminal waste of Donald Plazance's presence mm-hmm. in this film. Uh, Jennifer Connelly's stone-faced performance, script choices were bad, absurd storytelling, bad writing. It had the it's not the trifecta. That's the six. What's the six factor? The <laughs> <laughs> sex factor. sex factor. It was just <laughs> it was. It didn't work for me at all. It was, it was a real bad film. And it was long. And long. It's like, so now number four uh, was uh, Dead and Buried. And I described that as a spork. And that's, it works, you know, but it's not as satisfactory as the real thing. Um, it's an okay story. It reminds you, you've seen this kind of story told before. Um, it's uh, a little awkward. There's some inconsistencies, but generally, it's it's okay. It gets the job done. Uh, number three was uh, "Don't Look Now," and this one I called a forklift because it was. I hate the, using the word "workmanlike" performance. <laughs> it was a workmanlike piece of filmmaking. You know, it was. Uh, and the story was interesting. Uh, performances were good. It was a little bit of a mystery. Uh, it needed a bit of help to improve some of the scenes. Uh but uh, generally it was it was a it was a solid story that left you uh you know satisfied at the end. Uh Mulholland Drive, despite the absurdities and like the clumsiness in this in the filmmaking, uh I did find it engaging at times. It's like it was there was interesting characterizations that I could latch on to. Uh, the atmosphere was kind of, you know, it was it was mysterious. Uh, there were lots of things that it was essentially weird for weird's sake is yeah. what let the film down. Is that it needed like a, a decent bit of editing, and you could have turned out like a really great movie, uh, but it was.
1: Uh, if I believed that there was a blueprint to understanding that movie, I
2: think I would like it a lot more. But I think you just got to take it in and. That's it. And just accept it. And, you know, despite all of the flaws that we pointed out, it's like when you were comparing it to like <laughs> some of the movies you know, it kind of it it feels like an artificial high in the rank in the rankings. It came in as number two. Yeah. But I just couldn't see putting it, you know, below phenomena <laughs> or well, dead and buried. There's or burial the ground.
1: There's just some movies that will sort of surprise you. Like you said, you never imagined that Trailer Park of Terror was going to rank so high when we did that last time, and yeah, there it
2: was. it just it kind of finds its level. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so it actually came in as number two, given the grouping that I had to deal with. Yeah. So I've got two left, the worst and the best.
1: So I'm assuming Burial Grounds was your favorite.
2: Uh, actually, <laughs> yes. My... my analogy for burial ground was fork you Larry for making me (laughs) watch that you know the the it It was 85 minutes dude (laughs) it's like it was unfortunately burial ground found its way to the bottom of the barrel Jacob's Ladder now that was that was a fork with a a tasty well-done piece of steak on it (laughs) it was Tim Robbins is a great actor. Yes. Love watching him. Will watch anything he does. Um, it's and it really watching that it leaves you really satisfied. Like uh, the storytelling is great. It's sound logic. Like despite the circumstances and the you know the the weird imagery, uh, imagery the demonic versus angelic you know um, tropes that appear in it. Uh, it all feels logical. It doesn't feel like. Nothing feels out of place, and you can interpret it on multiple different levels, and it all you know it, it all works. Yeah. Like you can go simple or you can go more mystical, and you buy it, and you buy the the interpretation that the filmmaker chose uh, at the end with him. Like essentially, these are like random synapses firing in his uh, brain. In his brain. Uh, as his life flashes before his eyes yeah that's i that one i would watch i put that on my shelf in my collection yeah no problem.
1: uh yeah i i don't think that there's a lot of you know excessive stuff in that or extemporaneous or useless bits of film in in jacob's ladder i really don't whereas i would argue that Mulholland drive was full of just stuff that was thrown in
2: there Just Cause. Just
1: Cause. Our our lists are not dissimilar, but we are not going to be giving away any prizes today. Uh, Well,
2: and I kind (laughs) of knew, I was sitting there going, I wonder if I should throw, because I figured Mulholland Drive was going to be the wrong one, (laughs) out of all of them but I went no I'll, I'll keep my
1: list as I went <laughs> again I, I, I gotta question my own rulings here and only giving prizes if you agree with me <laughs> but it's kind of funny in its own right for me too <laughs> well if you agree with me you just clearly deserve some kind of reward <laughs> um, well I, I agree with you that Burial Grounds The Night of Terror was easily and soundly the worst of these six movies And I think I will argue that it's the worst movie that I've subjected myself to since starting this podcast. And, like, my friend Jeremy and I did an episode dedicated to bad sequels. And, like, there's been some pretty, pretty ugly (laughs) movies that I've looked at here. Burial Ground, so far, is my winner for least favorite movie reviewed on my show. So congratulations to that.
2: So I'm one for one. (laughs) Um,
1: uh, Yeah, I also wanted to point out that it's called Nights of Terror, and I believe most of it happens during the day. Yeah. Uh, Just just putting that out there. One day. And we didn't even really mention the boob munching in it. There is a boob munching thing that happens in it, so if you're into boob munching, you're a weirdo. Stop listening to my show. (laughs) Um, Number five, (laughs) I agree with you as well, is Phenomenon. Two
2: for two. Two for two. As
1: much as I would love to say that, you know... uh, a monkey saved the day with a scalpel just saying those words out loud makes it sound like it's fantastic (laughs) a monkey saves the day with a scalpel that's a go project maybe in the remake but phenomenon is a terrible movie i just uh not a fan um i put mulholland drive at number four and i guess it's just my i have a personal distaste for david lynch i just think like I I can feel the artistic wankery to this movie and I see scenes of genuine, like real good filmmaking too, which makes those other scenes all the more of a slap in my face. I find, uh, I get why people find it sort of hypnotizing and, uh, you want to go back and try and interpret it, but there's no master plan to this movie. Uh, David Lynch is just laughing his way to the bank and, uh, I think he's over-respected, frankly. Um, but that's me. (laughs) Uh, Dead and Buried, I made it to number three. Um,
2: I was... I had one out of order. (laughs) It's like I can see you're the stack in front of you.
1: I was close. You were very close. But uh, yeah, this is, like you say, it's completely watchable. Fine. It's, It's of its time. It's an 80s film. I like that there's no CGI to it. There's interesting faces that show up. But you're right. It's an episode of The Twilight Zone. And if you like episodes of The Twilight Zone... Give it a look. I mean, I don't think you're going to be like, Oh, that was so stupid! <laughs> um, it's fine. Uh, it's fine. I, the, <laughs> I don't want to oversell it, but I don't want to undersell it. It's fine. Uh, don't Look Back. or Sorry, Don't Look Now. I keep on wanting to call it Don't Look Back because of the play. But Don't Look Now. Um, it's not a perfect movie, but it's a very interesting movie. Um, but I think where it throws a bunch of stuff at you and uh, tries to knock you off your balance... There is a real story being told there, which, like, I keep going back to. Mulholland Drive was doing a similar thing, sans the story. (laughs) I don't know how I would describe that movie to people. I can say that Don't Look Now is a a psychic thriller about grief and uh, about letting go. And it's tragic and it's scary. So it's number two. But yeah, you know, usually, like I say with these lists, I've been finding a lot of the times the number one movie and the number six movie announce themselves really quickly. Jacob's Ladder outclasses all of the other movies in this list, I think, by a fairly large margin. Um, it's a really good investigation of what it would be like to, you know, have that conversation with yourself at the moment of death. He's explaining himself, you know, why terrible things happened in his life he's explaining to himself why he died and the purpose that his death would show you know in his little fantasy eventually they're going to find out what happened to him and it's hopefully going to make some difference in the world (laughs) um and it's also the flights of fantasy you know the stuff that you wanted to do in your life that you didn't like Elizabeth <laughs> Um All of this stuff in this really delicious stew and uh, just throwing stuff at you. Every scene is something different and you don't know how to, to take it, but you know you're in the hands of someone with a master plan and the movie pays off. Jacob's Ladder is the best of these six movies.
2: You know, I can... add. I'm quite sure that if I had made the adjustment to my list spontaneously like I thought... I would have gotten it right. Oh, yeah? You would have
1: switched two for four? I
2: would have thrown Mulholland Drive further down.
1: Oh, really? It's
2: like, but I was close. I was a lot closer (laughs) than last time.
1: No, we're on the same page. Um, And once again, I'm going to take this opportunity to apologize for Burial Grounds, Knights of Hair. There are people who genuinely have a love for that movie and those types of films. And um, by all means, write me an email and explain yourself to me. But... Much like I said with the torture porn movies that we reviewed with Jared, I don't know that I understand them as entertainment at
2: all. No. Yeah, I just, I didn't, that movie, God, if I'd seen it on the big screen, I would have, I would have regretted it. I'm quite sure. (laughs) It's like I saw enough just on a little 5x7 screen in front of me at night one night. So, uh, but yeah, but uh, Jacob's Ladder was definitely well worth revisiting 30 years on. It's still a great movie. Loved it.
1: Yeah, to the Jerry's then. All right, episode 13, Jerry's What the Fuck, volume 2. What the fuck, The Revenge. Uh, what the fuck, this time is personal. This time, it's,
2: <laughs> this time it was personal. <laughs>
1: um, yes, uh, I would love to hear some of the awards that are going to... Who's going to win a Jerry Award today, Ray?
2: Oh, is there really a winner and a <laughs> loser? It's like I think everybody's a loser here. Uh, the uh, I had just two that I picked uh, of which one was the, the really no, really moment uh, in in these films. And there was really nobody in contention. There was only one that I considered. And uh, when Michael in uh, Burial Grounds, uh, you know, he's jealous of his mother's suitors. He wants, you know, to get back with his mother (laughs) in the womb or as close as possible. It's just disgusting. Uh, But... The mother, you know, given the circumstances, the mother loses her mind a bit. And when she sees her son come back, doesn't realize that he's a zombie and whips her boob out to give him the breast that he was asking for. And, yeah, you know what's coming? The zombie munching on her nipple. And, but the thing that really bugged me about the scene was when he ripped the whole boob off <laughs> and he was gnawing on it like it was a piece of leather. Yeah. And I was going, you know, breast meat is usually the best meat. <laughs> but no, he was working at it like it was, I don't know what it was made out of. Uh, but man. I think
1: he was just enjoying himself. He'd been wanting on that the whole movie. And, My God, what a terrible film that is. <laughs>
2: oh, I was just watching that going, and he's still chewing on it. <laughs> yeah. It was just terrible. <laughs>
1: Well, thanks to thanks to you, it's that that actor is now a Jerry Award-winning actor. Oh, I'm <laughs> For, sure he'll be
2: released. Really. really. <laughs> and then, uh and then a lot of these movies they inspire you know questioning, which can be a good thing. You know, with movies is that you like to debate what sure. the meaning is, but these movies inspire questions that arise because of the total lack of logic or sense that you're that's unfolding in front of you and every one of them had its moments uh Mulholland Drive and we've talked about this what's with the rictus grins on the old couple
1: creepy as hell
2: what are why are these little miniature versions of them walking out of a paper bag it didn't make any logical sense
1: well, I'm sure David Lynch couldn't tell you.
2: No, and won't. No. And burial grounds. Why are there leg hold traps all over the grounds? Mm-hmm. Um, why is the scientist trying to be friends with the zombies? <laughs>
1: Why were all the statues have boobs on them? I was going to mention that because there's no shortage of boobs in the film, but they thought they'd throw out a few titty statues
2: too. <laughs> yeah, how did the zombies develop the use of tools? Uh, there was lots of things you could question in that film. Don't look back during the séance. Why was the blind lady fondling herself so vigorously? Yeah. She was sitting there rubbing her chest. Like I, I got the sense that she was, you know in communication with a ghost or something was kind of controlling her but at the same time it was just ugh.
1: the movie kept on wanting us to be not sure about her and i think that was part of it they just wanted us to be not quite sure about
2: yeah it That's... was and on the end you weren't sure
0: no. uh,
2: but the uh but the winner was for me in phenomena and uh was the monkey the razor blade killer that's what i just i couldn't get at i guess the they end. never
1: really say for sure that it's that little boy that was doing the killing but why did she kidnap her and why were all the bodies in her basement if it wasn't her, or her son
2: well and the only serial killer they talked about during the film was the razor blade killer and yet all the killing was occurring with that assemblage spear, assemblable thing. spear. Yeah. so it really if you were straining for some kind of logic yeah, that's all I could come up with. Well, the, that's the what monkey. she gets
1: for going to the Transylvania of Sweden, man. I don't it, know what the tell is. Swiss. The Swiss Transylvania. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah.
2: It was, it was amazing.
1: <laughs> uh, well, uh, some more Jerry Awards given out. Uh, I've got three to, to for you to consider. I will give you the nominations. You can tell me uh, what the winner is. For WTF and... Uh, and disavowing michael biting his mom's boo from days of terror he's no longer in, 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 eligible i will not let him be a two-time jerry award-winning actor for that he doesn't uh, deserve it twice <laughs> i put elizabeth penna's demon love in uh, in jacob's ladder for the scene where she's having sex with some demonic figure in that dance floor really really ugly and disturbing the Two Heroes finale uh, of Phenomenon. That's what the chapter heading is called, uh, where uh, Shapiro gets decapitated and then the monkey shows up and then saves the day. <laughs> that, that was like the cherry on the top of that pile of shit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, the man behind the restaurant scene in Mulholland Drive really, really unnerved me. I saw this for the first time in the Broadway theater. We keep mentioning the Broadway theater. I saw it there when it was... In like 2001 or whenever it came out and uh, that scene just stuck with me uh, more than anything else in the movie that, that scene creeped me out I wish the movie was about the world of that scene <laughs> um, so yeah um, the third act revelation over the top performance of Florentino uh, in Dead and Buried <laughs> he realizes uh, where he fits into this rich tapestry and just loses his <laughs> shit completely <laughs> and uh the last nomination for what the fuck moment is of course the creepy dwarf person at the end of don't look now uh because i don't know what i was expecting to see at that moment but it certainly was not that and consequently it was quite disturbing <laughs>
2: uh, you know if i've got to pick one of those yeah i've got to go with jacob's ladder simply because you've got to give an award to the best movie <laughs> out of this grouping. It's like some of the scenes that you mentioned are inherently a little weirder, right. like as far as what the fuck moments. But uh, but yeah, that was a very effective, very creepy scene uh, that you weren't quite sure what you were seeing here, yeah. but you didn't like it. And yeah, it's... Uh, and as well, you could totally feel Tim Robbins going
1: revulsion and fear yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah and
2: it's like he's you know he's down the rabbit hole at this point he doesn't know what's going on so yeah I would I think I would give right. that to a word. Jacob's music, Ladder
1: best what the fuck moment of these <laughs> what the fuck movies that's a high praise indeed um I have a guess I, I know where you're going to go with this next group of nominations but uh for best performances I have nominated Tim Robbins from Jacob's Ladder uh Donald Sutherland in a fairly complex role I think in, in, in Don't Look Now um Donald Pleasant's supporting work in Phenomena. just because it was nice to see an actor show up, at least. And uh, Naomi Watts for Mulholland Drive. Say what you will, that would not have been an easy part to play or an easy two parts to play, because apparently, yeah, she switches bodies, which is something that, uh, that, that Lynch likes to revisit in his films.
2: Well, and I actually, and I didn't bring it up while we were talking about it, I swear she played the waitress in Winkies. It's like, if you look closely at the actress, they cut to her at one point. Hmm. She's the one who comes to their table while they're having that conversation. And I thought that that was Naomi Watts as well. And I went, what did that mean if that was her? It's like, because I didn't go back to check it out. Well, you
1: couldn't because you can't use chapters in the DVD.
2: Yeah, but that's, so she might have actually had three parts in that movie. So, but I'm not sure. I wasn't sure. (laughs) It just, it sort of went, Huh?
1: But she went from being a super sweet like Dorothy from Wizard of Oz type character to this like furiously masturbating, crying junkie chick at the end
2: of the movie. Like it was an interesting good times. times, good times. It was an interesting arc for her to portray. Uh, you know, I would probably again. Tim Robbins, uh, I like him. It's like I liked her her performance. I thought she was solid. I would probably pick Tim Robbins. I like that film. I like him.
1: Yeah, Jacob's Ladder taking it again and the last word we're going to give out for the 13th episode of Rank and Review and once again thank you Rick uh, we're going to go for best death in this series of six movies and there has been a few of them uh, I have full body cast gentleman gets needle in the eye from dead and buried <laughs> what a horrible horrible situation <laughs> completely helpless you just see that needle coming for your one vulnerable exposed <laughs> <to> the <world. laughs> um the the pole through the head in the something-of-a-dream sequence, sleepwalking sequence in, uh, in Phenomenon. Uh, Jennifer Connelly sees one of her fellow students take a spear through the head. <laughs> um, the culmination of the madness in the Vietnam, the sequence in Jacob's Ladder, where we understand what really happened to him. He wasn't even, in fact, fighting the enemy at that point. His whole squad had gone crazy and ended up killing each other. You see bits of that violence throughout the movie, but you don't fully understand the implication of what's going on. So uh, that that revelation, I thought, was pretty impressive. And uh, a lot, there's a lot of death dealt out there, so I sort of spread that one across a few people. Um, in, the, in the Knights of Terror, that weird death with the maid being decapitated. Like I say, she seemed almost a willing participant. I'll be out of the movie soon. I'll be out of the movie soon. <laughs> Um, the climactic moment with Donald Sutherland uh, in Don't Look Now. <laughs> again, we've gone back to. And uh, um, last but not least, uh, the hitman in maholland Drive, who, again, he's getting a little black book from somebody. Clearly, that's what he was supposed to do, but there's a lot of uh, residual damage. He inadvertently shoots the woman in the next room, so has to drag her into the room and deal with her. And then he gets the janitor involved. And then the alarm goes off in the building, and it's this really bizarre series of death and, and, and horrible stuff, but it's played for laughs. And again, it's just not made reference to again at any point in the movie.
2: And that's why it wins.
1: <laughs> that's the best you did. <laughs> because
2: I did that. I had that mentioned on my sheet as well, we didn't talk about, it, is that the, the murder goes wrong... <laughs> was a moment that I quite enjoyed.
1: Again, by itself, as an isolated sequence, it's great, but where does it fit in this movie? It doesn't matter. It was
2: just, it was a little sweet piece of, you know, that you could latch onto and go, oh, I like this moment. Well, yeah, it, it was
1: a bright light. And it, like I say, as much as it sounds like I've just been hating on, on Mulholland Drive, I would watch Mulholland Drive twice before I would watch Phenomenon or... Uh, or Nights of Terror again. <laughs> well,
2: so, well, and you know, you can get software that allows you to like do movie editing, yeah. And it might be fun, you know, as an experiment to take Mulholland Drive <laughs> and do a re-edit on it and see what you could come up with. You know? I just
1: honestly think there's isolated short films. The Winkies film that the the botched uh, hit, <laughs> like um, even like those weird <laughs> octogenarians with their. Skull grins, oh, that was really, really creepy, especially at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. At the end of the movie, it was just sort of a climactic moment, oh, they're back again. But that shot of them in the back of the car is just disturbing.
2: It is. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, you don't know. Okay, they're sinister. Uh... <laughs> yeah, they're gone.
1: <laughs> and now two and a half hours of movie, and then you'll see them again briefly.
2: <laughs> briefly, as they kill our heroine, yeah. and that's it.
1: Oh. Thank you, Rick. And uh, you are, of course, welcome to try this again. I'll understand if you need to take a breather or if you maybe need to do one that's themed on on elves or or fairies next time.
2: (laughs) Well, it's, yeah, I've taken another look at the the list. You'll have to send me an updated copy of what's been taken and what's not. But, uh, yeah, there might be be a safer bet to go down the uh, the more beaten track, as it were, as, as opposed well, to... there's
1: the, more WTF movies yeah. to, to look at, but, uh, yeah, I'll understand if you need to mix it up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Rick.
1: And so it was that all good things came to an end. Uh, Episode 13 is in the rearview mirror. Um, if you'd like to write me and let me know what I got right and what I got wrong this episode, you can do that at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook presence for a Rank and Review fan site if that is your thing. If you're a Facebook person, please uh, like and join that group. Uh, my name's larry parsons i'm your host and random canadian and thank you so much for listening